This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at Saks.com. It's finally here and you can get your hands on your own copy of Art Curious. Stories of the unexpected, slightly odd, and strangely wonderful in art history. You'll love the book, which includes some never-before-shared tales of art history. Stories about America's favorite grandpa of graphic design and how he became radicalized in the 1960s. How two women may have beaten Vasily Kandinsky to being deemed the world's first abstract artists. And a deeper dive into the debate over who created one of the most shocking artworks of all time. Art Curious, Stories of the Unexpected, Slightly Odd, and Strangely Wonderful in Art History, published by Penguin Books, is available right now wherever you buy your books, ebooks, and audiobooks. You can also read more about it and order your copy, and one for a friend, at artcuriousbook.com. That's artcuriousbook.com. The Art Curious Podcast is primarily sponsored by Anchorlight. For more information, please visit anchorlightraleigh.com. A couple of years ago, my local art museum had the opportunity to show a traveling exhibition that featured Georgia O'Keeffe's works alongside pieces by contemporary artists who have followed in her footsteps in one way or another. It was such a fun and eclectic show, and though I personally adore many of the contemporary artists that were shown there, it was still not hard to see the O'Keeffe works as the true stars of the show. I mean, how could you not? But there was one painting that was the undoubted star of it all. The O'Keeffe to beat all O'Keeffe's in that exhibition. It was a bold and beautiful white flower with lush green petals pushed so closely to the surface of the picture plane that you couldn't help but be drawn into its swirling center. And if you weren't careful, Minutes or maybe hours could just pass you by, so immersed in the painting you could become. As I stared at this flower, I could hear murmurs all around me. That's the one, a lady whispered. Wow, look at that, a man proclaimed. How much, a third voice said. And I knew exactly what they were talking about. Because this painting of a white flower wasn't just fantastic to look at. It was also a bona fide world record smasher. Some people think that visual art is dry, boring, lifeless. But the stories behind those paintings, sculptures, drawings, and photographs are weirder, more outrageous, or more fun than you can imagine. This season, season eight, we've been exploring examples of some of the most expensive artworks ever sold at auction and beyond, and considering why they garnered so much money, finishing up this time with Georgia O'Keeffe's Jimson Weed White Flower Number One. This is the Art Curious Podcast. Exploring the unexpected, the slightly odd, and the strangely wonderful in art history. I'm Jennifer Dassel.
when we think of the foremost female artists throughout history, chances are probably good that a modern artist, i.e. someone from the 20th century as opposed to earlier or even later, unless you're a contemporary art fan like me, a modern artist is likely the one that will spring to mind. And if it's not Frida Kahlo who first enters your mind, then it's probably Georgia O'Keeffe. O'Keeffe was an extraordinary American painter whose highly individual style brings together two important preoccupations within art in the first half of the 20th century, abstraction and pictorialism. Pictorialism, by the way, is a term that's a bit hard to pin down and mostly applies to photography, but it generally means a focus on the tone and feel of a composition rather than showcasing reality. And O'Keeffe did both and did both splendidly, creating beautiful pictures that inched closer and closer to abstraction, all while formulating a trademark style that truly celebrated the flora, fauna, and landscapes of her home country. And chances are that it's the flora element, those bright blooms dramatically cropped, that you really imagine when you picture a Georgia O'Keeffe painting in your head. Throughout her long career, she produced almost 2,000 works of art, with flowers making up a little more than 10% of her output. But she also painted indelible urban scenes, vast landscapes, and yeah, lots of cow skulls. Her name has become synonymous with a certain westernized and sometimes feminized version of mid-century modern American art. And as such, she's always, always in vogue especially among museums and collectors. So it's not a surprise to know that her works sell well at auction and beyond. And in November 2014, One Piece broke the world record amount for the price paid for any woman artist in the history of art. Her work, Jimson Weed slash White Flower No. 1, sold for $44.4 million at a Sotheby's auction. Before we get to addressing Jimson Weed White Flower No. 1 and all of its pertinent details, let's get a quick look at the life of the great Georgia O'Keeffe. Georgia was born on November 15, 1887, near Sand Prairie, Wisconsin, to Ida and Frances O'Keeffe, who recognized her artistic talent early on and provided her with private instruction in the finer points of art making. In 1905, when she turned 18, she embarked on a journey to the Art Institute of Chicago and a year later studied at the Art Students League of New York. Receiving formal training with a conventional European focus that emphasized drawing from life and casts. It's possible, at the outset of her studies, that she felt a bit outside the norm in a couple of ways. First, in that she was a woman, of course. And this point will naturally be something we'll return to shortly in our discussion today. But also because it was still super in vogue for serious art students to go abroad to Rome, or especially to Paris, to complete their artistic training. And O'Keeffe didn't do that. She trained solely in U.S. institutions and grew up within this unique environment, where she was exposed to the alternative methods of learning while attending the earliest modernist exhibitions in New York City breathing in the newness of artists like Henri Matisse and Auguste Rodin. After finishing school, she jumped around for a while as a teacher, moving to Virginia, Texas, and South Carolina, before returning to New York to study there once more, 
this time at Columbia University's Teachers College. And it was in New York that one of the most influential moments of her life occurred when, in early 1916, she first met Alfred Stieglitz. Alfred Stieglitz is considered to be the big daddy of modern photography in the United States, first and foremost. But he was also a huge patron and promoter of the arts in New York City at the beginning of the 20th century. He was the founder and director of a prominent gallery known as 291, though its full official title is the much more cumbersome Little Gallery of the Photo Secession. Not only did Stieglitz use his gallery to promote photography as an artistic medium worthy of respect and admiration as painting and sculpture were, which was a pretty radical thought still at the early part of the century, but he also exhibited traveling shows by the leading figures in European avant-garde, including Matisse, Rodin, Pablo Picasso, and many others. In early 1916, O'Keefe visited 291 to view an exhibition of Marsden Hartley paintings, and their connection was a seemingly strange one at first. As a curator of photography at the National Gallery of Art in Washington, D.C., noted in an NPR interview in 2011, quote, Stieglitz was the most important person in the New York art world, and Georgia O'Keeffe was a schoolteacher teaching art in Texas, unquote. In other words, a famous dude beginning a friendship with a not-at-all-famous woman. Their mutual professional admiration grew into a personal acquaintance, which then evolved into a mentorship and later progressed into a slow-burning romantic relationship, thus becoming one of the most fertile love affairs in the history of American art and one that is beautifully documented in thousands of letters and hundreds of Stieglitz's own photographs. But Stieglitz wasn't just personally incredibly important to his future wife, as they would go on to marry in 1924. He was also hugely influential in her career as well. In May 1916, only months after they first met, Stieglitz exhibited O'Keeffe's work at 291 for the first time and presented her first solo show a year later. In June 1918, at the age of 31, she decided to quit teaching and O'Keeffe moved to New York City and then to Lake George, New York, to live with the extended Stieglitz clan. And it was during this period that the works we think of as typically O'Keeffe began to develop. Inspired by the lush rural landscapes surrounding her at Lake George, she felt transformed, lost in the moment, and wanted to share her sensations with her viewers. She aspired to portray nature from this sensory perspective, one that would allow viewers to experience a unique encounter with something that usually goes unnoticed. She especially felt this about something as small as a flower. Famously, she once declared, quote, when you take a flower in your hand and really look at it, it's your world for the moment. I wanted to give that world to someone else. Most people in the city rush around so they have no time to look at a flower. I want them to see it, whether they want to or not." Unquote. To fix this rush, rush, rush mindset, O'Keefe scrutinized flowers and plants as if each was an individual, basically creating a portrait of a specific item. The result is a highly detailed, sometimes ethereal, and breathtaking close-up image. Voila, those O'Keeffe florals you are most likely imagining right now. A large way to enjoy something so small that can often pass us by. 
Coming up next, O'Keefe breaks the world record for women artists. Stay tuned. This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at Saks.com. 2020 was full of unique challenges that made us change our whole way of life. But with each challenge, we've learned to survive, to thrive, and strive to be better. We don't know yet what 2021 will bring, but with The Great Courses Plus, we can make this our year by continuing to learn with purpose. Because when we learn with purpose, we can do better and be better. With The Great Courses Plus, the opportunities to learn are endless. You can get unlimited access to stream thousands of videos and audio courses from top experts in their fields like how to build a better financial plan or control stress and make it actually work for you, how to live sustainably, support a more regenerative world, and even how to play guitar like a pro. I've been enjoying the course 30 Masterpieces of the Ancient World, so you can learn about how thousands of years before modern masters such as Monet or Picasso put brush to canvas, artists from all over the ancient world created a trove of incredible masterpieces. So whether you want to take a deep dive into a subject or learn a little bit of everything, The Great Courses Plus has something for everyone. And if you download The Great Courses Plus app, you can watch or listen to lectures on any device, anytime, and anywhere. What is your purpose this year? What new things will you learn? Sign up for The Great Courses Plus and find out. Visit my special URL, thegreatcoursesplus.com art, and you'll get a 14-day trial with unlimited access for free. I don't want you to pass this up. So please go now to thegreatcoursesplus.com art. Bloomberg Connects is the free smartphone app that lets you access museums, galleries, and cultural spaces around the world anytime and anywhere. An awesome way to connect to the art world you love right now from the comfort of your own home. The app takes a portfolio approach, offering access to many different cultural institutions through a single download. Bloomberg Connects offers users the chance to discover new cultural partners all over the world. Right now, guides are available for the Guggenheim Museum, the New York Botanical Garden, the Frick Collection, the Noguchi Museum, the Serpentine Galleries, and more, with new arts and cultural spaces being added all the time. Bloomberg Connects allows you to access digital guides, hear from artists, curators, and experts, and get the great stories behind the art. Download Bloomberg Connects today at the Apple App and Google Play stores or visit app.bloombergconnects.org slash artcurious. That's app.bloombergconnects.org slash artcurious. Thinking about the high interest rate credit cards you used over the holidays? When it comes to refinancing your credit cards, you've got options. But only Lightstream was ranked number one by J.D. Power for customer satisfaction with personal loans. For J.D. Power 2020 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Lightstream's credit card consolidation loans start at just 5.95% APR with auto pay and excellent credit. 
you could save thousands in interest. You can even get your money as soon as the day you apply. Apply today for a credit card consolidation loan from the company JD Power ranked number one for customer satisfaction in personal loans. Plus, get an additional interest rate discount at lightstream.com slash artcurious. That's L-I-G-H-T-S-T-R-E-A-M dot com slash artcurious. Subject to credit approval. Rates range from 5.95 APR to 19.99% APR and include 0.5% auto pay discount. Lowest rate requires excellent credit. Terms and conditions apply and offers are subject to change without notice. Visit lightstream.com slash artcurious for more information. Welcome back to Art Curious. In the final years of the 1920s, Georgia O'Keeffe needed a little change of pace. And when the opportunity arose to travel to Santa Fe and onwards to Taos, New Mexico, with her friend and fellow artist Rebecca Strand, the wife of photographer Paul Strand, she leapt at the chance. And this, this was another turning point in O'Keeffe's career as important as her fateful 1916 meeting with Stieglitz. From 1929 on, she spent a good part of every year ensconced in New Mexico, enthralled by the rustic beauty and energy of the American Southwest. It was a land she would call the far away, and every year, its pull on her seemed stronger and stronger. She bought her first house there in 1940, in the tiny town of Abiquiu, about an hour's drive north of Santa Fe, and she spent long periods there, too, splitting her time between New York and New Mexico. After Stieglitz's death in 1946, she continued this cross-continental living arrangement, mainly so she could assist in settling Stieglitz's estate and to donate many of his artworks across the country. But once that was over, O'Keefe was free to return to the land she loved, and this time to do it permanently. She moved in 1949, and it was apparent that this was something she had been considering doing for a long time. As she wrote to her friend and fellow artist Arthur Dove in 1942, quote, My period of indecision is over. I am going west. The country seems to call one in a way one has to answer it. I wish you could see what I see out my window. The earth pink and yellow cliffs to the north the pale full moon about to go down in an early morning lavender sky behind a very long beautiful tree covered mesa to the west. Pink and purple hills in front and the scrubby fine dull green cedars and a feeling of much space. It is a very beautiful world." Unquote. Over the many years she would spend in New Mexico, O'Keefe devoted herself to the daily ritual of painting discovering new sources of inspiration at seemingly every turn. Many days, she'd rise with the sun and take an early walk through the desert. Breakfast would follow at 7 a.m. and usually consisted of eggs, bread, hot chili with garlic oil, as Mason Curry pointed out in the book Daily Rituals, How Artists Work. Sated by an early morning dose of nature and grub, she would then head to her studio, breaking at noon for lunch, and then it was back to work. In a letter to William M. Milliken, a director of the Cleveland Art Museum in 1930, she described how just a glance outside could bring an idea to mind, writing, quote, Outside my door that opened on a wide stretch of desert, these flowers bloomed all summer in the daytime, unquote. One wonders if the flowers she is describing here are the beautiful white blooms of the jimson weed, 
a flower so striking that it became the subject of numerous canvases for her. In her letters, she wrote of the Jimson lovingly, noting, quote, It is a beautiful white trumpet flower with strong veins that hold the flower open and grow longer than the round part of the flower, twisting as they grow off beyond it. Some of them are a pale green in the center, some a pale Mars violet. The Jimson weed blooms in the cool of the evening. One moonlight night at the ranch, I counted 125 flowers. The flowers die in the heat of the day. Now, when I think of the delicate fragrance of the flowers, I almost feel the coolness and sweetness of the evening." Unquote. Jimson weed, white flower number one, delivers this sensation in a rather stunning package. O'Keeffe's canvas presents us with one of her signature enlarged blooms levitating in a seemingly indefinite pictorial space. In its bold organic curves and with her sophisticated color palette, O'Keeffe attempts to convey the beauty and sweetness of what may be deemed by some as an insignificant flower. That's the great trick of Georgia O'Keeffe, that she was able to perform these elegant metamorphoses of normal everyday items into the opulent protagonists of her large-scale works. We are sucked into her scene, engulfed by her flowers, as our eyes follow green curve to green curve, the permanently blue sky suffused with wispy clouds, and the pristine whiteness of the jimson weed's soft petals. It's a stunner. It's a flower transformed into an object worthy of adoration. An icon, a reverent image proclaiming the supremacy of even the tiniest elements of the natural world. Not that everyone liked it, of course. O'Keefe once noted, quote, The men didn't like my color. My color was hopeless. My color was too bright. But I liked colors, unquote. And color itself was important to O'Keefe even when the color was white, which many like to argue is the absence of color. But that's a debate for another day. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. It was through color that Georgia O'Keeffe could explore and create her experiences of the world. As she wrote about this work and others like it, quote, the large white flower is something I have to say about white, quite different from what white has been meaning to me. Whether the flower or the color is the focus, I do not know. I do know that this flower is painted large to convey to you my experience of the flower, and what is my experience of the flower, if not its color? I know I cannot paint a flower. I cannot paint the sun on the desert on a bright summer morning, but maybe in terms of paint color, I can convey to you my experience of the flower or the experience that makes the flower of significance to me at that particular time." Unquote. Some have noted that O'Keeffe's long relationship with Alfred Stieglitz and friendship with other photographers like Paul Strand greatly influenced works like Jimson Weed, White Flower No. 1 in its style. And I totally see what they mean here. 
The bloom of the Jimson weed is so close to the surface of the picture that you could almost pretend that the panel itself was cropped, just like a photo could be. Or that O'Keeffe's image could represent a close-up or an object photographed with a macro lens. It's also that perfect O'Keeffean combo of the natural world and abstraction, where the picture feels incredibly flattened to us. Because even though she does modulate the colors and shadows to provide us with a sensation of depth, it isn't a super deep space painting. It feels like a photograph in that way. And that just makes it feel more immersive to us, so that we are drawn into that mesmerizing center of the bold white flower. A connection can be made, then, to another artist who was a subject of this season of the podcast, Mark Rothko, whose abstract canvases became these meditative experiences for his viewers. O'Keeffe's Jimson Weed acts similarly here, as she uses pure color, shape, and that unbelievably large scale and close-up view to make us feel as if we are in a deeper space, another plane, a dream landscape filled with natural beauty. Jimson Weed White Flower No. 1 belonged to the artist's sister, Anita O'Keefe Young, who took possession of it before 1966, though the exact date is a bit murky. But we do know that it was sold off as part of O'Keefe Young's estate in the mid-1980s, and it spent until December 1987 circulating between two private collectors before being sold, for the first time, at auction, for the price of $990,000, and reappeared again at a price of over $1 million in 1994. So it was only in the 90s that Georgia O'Keeffe broke that $1 million barrier. Before it landed back on the auction block in the new millennium, it got some serious cred in terms of exhibitions of O'Keeffe's work all around the world. Not just at the Georgia O'Keeffe Museum in Santa Fe, but also San Francisco, New York, London, Mexico City, and Yokohama, Japan, among others. And then it ended up in another place of honor for a six-year loan, the White House, where it was requested for a long-term stay by Laura Bush during George W. Bush's presidency. And then, in 2014, it was returned to auction, with Sotheby's hosting it at an auction estimate of between 10 and $15 million. Previous to this, O'Keeffe's highest auction record was $6.2 million for a work sold in 2001 called Calla Lilies with Red Anemone. But the $15 million estimate was shattered, with the buyer eventually shelling out nearly three times the amount, at over $44.5 million. As seems to be the great tradition of many auction houses, the buyer was not immediately revealed to the general public. But the truth came out a year later. The purchaser of Jimson Weed White Flower No. 1? Alice Walton, the Walmart heiress, and her American art museum based in Bentonville, Arkansas, the inimitable Crystal Bridges Museum. So it's not just the Qataris or the Saudis or other wheelers and dealers from the Middle East who are able to make a splash in the art world. It's sometimes nice when we Americans are able to do so too. But what's nicest of all is the sale of Jimson Weed afforded O'Keeffe the ability to be noted as the female artist who has set the record for art sales at auction, a record that, as of the recording of this episode, still hasn't been beaten. And I love that. But I also love that such news might not have mattered so much to the esteemable artist, because though being sought after by collectors was surely a good thing, it wasn't that important to her personally. 
She once said, quote, I want to paint what I see, as I see it, in my own way, without regard for the desires or taste of the professional dealer or the professional collector. I attribute what little success I have to this fact. Thank you for listening to Season 8 of the Art Curious Podcast. This episode was written, produced, and narrated by me, Jennifer Dassel, with additional writing and research help by Arena Novak. Our theme music is by Alex Davis at alexdavismusic.com, and our logo is by Dave Rainey at daverainydesign.com. Our show production and editing services are provided by Kabunki, the silliest name in superb podcasts and video. Ask them to help your show too at kabonki.com. The Art Curious Podcast is sponsored primarily by Anchorlight. Anchorlight is a creative space founded with the intent of fostering artists, designers, and craftspeople at varying stages of their development. Home to artist studios, residency opportunities, and exhibition space, Anchorlight encourages mentorship and the cross-pollination of skills among creatives in the triangle. Please visit anchorlightraleigh.com. The Art Curious Podcast is also fiscally sponsored by VAE Raleigh, a 501c3 nonprofit creativity incubator. We're a fully independent podcast, so we rely on advertising, sponsors, and donations to keep us going. You can help others find our show by leaving a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. For more details about our show, including the image mentioned in the episode today, please visit our website, artcuriouspodcast.com. We are also on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at ArtCuriousPod. This is the end of our season, so we'll be on a bit of a break, but definitely stay subscribed and check back often for updates on future seasons and special bonus content. We love our listeners, and we will be back with you soon to continue exploring the unexpected, the slightly odd, and strangely wonderful in art history.